This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 242, Flashback, X-Men and N98. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 242. It's the flashback to X-Men and 98 episode. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Uh, last episode, we, uh, in two, well, not last, but episode 240, we did a flashback to the Amazing Spider-Man, specifically the actual Amazing Spider-Man comic in 997, or at least the cover dated issues for uh, 997. And I found I actually had a lot of fun looking back at what was going on at that era of Spider-Man, and I thought about, well, what other comics was I reading around that time that I could kind of have that kind of discussion with or kind of go through, and um, my one of my immediate thoughts was actually uh, X-Men. The X-Men comics were, you know, I was that was kind of my big first foray into comics, more so than Spider-Man, uh, was the X-Men comics. I really enjoyed them, so I thought, okay, well, let's go back to cover data comics. I thought, well, let's do 997. Well, there's some crossover with... Operation Zero Tolerance, etc. So what if I talk about something that I've never really talked about on the podcast before, and that's the X-Men comics in 998. Now, originally I was just going to talk about Uncanny X-Men only, but then I realized that by the end of the year, there was a lot more crisscross and crossover between the Uncanny and X-Men books. I thought instead this would uh, be an episode where I would actually look at uh, both books, um, but this is actually going to be part one. Although it is not indicated in the in the episode title, uh, the second episode will indicate that it's the second part that I'm doing. Uh, so I'm just going to go for, through the first six months of the year for both issues for both titles. So it's twelve issues that we're going to talk about this particular episode. Uh, at the at the moment, we're going to start with the X Men Uncanny X Men 351. Um, now, what's interesting to note about this is that Scott Lobdell had just left the book. His last issue was 350, which was the big trial of Gambit. It was also the last time that Joe Mad would do artwork on the Uncanny X-Men title. So it was definitely a series in transition. Now, if you, so uh, the creative team here, it's, this particular issue is written by Steve Siegel. Artwork by Ed Bennis, who's the guest artist. And even back then, I was like, wow, that's some amazing looking art. Um, so not only does this come after Uncanny X-Men 350, but also X-Men 70. Now, uh, in our Operation Zero Tolerance episode, um, which was a spotlight episode, I'm trying to, uh, I can't remember exactly what episode that was, or it might have been a flashback. And it was, if it was a, it was a little bit ago, it was episode 218, uh, from November 14th, it was a flashback episode where myself and, uh, Nathan Strzok and Paul Scores went back and it was like two and a half hours or something of going through Operation Zero Tolerance. Now, near the end of that um, of that kind of spotlight, we talked about X-Men 70, which ended Operation Zero Tolerance. I mean, really it ended in 69, but 70 is where we really got a clear sense of, you know, the, t- the teams coming to back together, um, the team that had been in space with the team that had not been in space, and seeing what happens from there. Now, so X-Men, th- uh, Uncanny X-Men 351, excellent cover. It's, although it has uh, Cecilia Reyes in a, in a costume she's never worn, uh, her in an X-Men outfit, jumping out of the way of Pyro's flame. Uh, it says, Welcome to the X-Men, Cecilia. You know the rest. Uh, the cover is actually by Joe Mad, apparently, although I guess it is. You know, the way that uh, Cecilia looks here, I almost thought it was uh, Bennis, but no, it's definitely not. It's definitely Joe Mad. I don't think I ever really realized that that's who did the cover here. Um, it, it's very much a focus on Cecilia Reyes, who... Again, was not much of a character yet. We were starting to get an idea who she was. Um, you know, she was still, she was still. Uh, I guess she was, was she a doctor or a nurse? I, I guess now I can't even remember. I guess she was a doctor. Um, it's it's her kind of bonding with Wolverine, which 
you know, she didn't really know who this guy was at all, except for he she he had helped her commit uh, commit uh, operate and do surgery on Cyclops in the previous issue. Um, it's interesting that like he's he's trying to kind of be this mentor figure. She doesn't really want anything to do with it. She just wants to go back to work, and it's not that simple. There's also some subplots here, as we have. Um, a subplot that I don't think really goes anywhere, although the next issues where they kind of kind of elaborate upon it, where uh, Scott and Jean are deciding that they're going to uh, go to Anchorage, Alaska to recover from everything that happened uh, during Operation Zero Tolerance, kind of get away from it all. Um, and there's kind of a, you know, Jean Grey gets psychically, I think, attacked on the plane, but then there's really nothing else dealt with this, and then we go right on to the next subplot. Um it's interesting about this era that the idea that the ongoing continuing narratives were still a thing. They weren't writing the trade at all yet. So you would actually have like elements kind of bleeding over from issue to issue. Uh, as I said, most of this issue is about Cecilia Reyes and her being kind of stalked by Daredevil, which is super creepy. Um, and then Pyro being in, in the hospital, her trying to treat him, uh, people treating her differently because she's a mutant. Um, you have the appearance of Sauron uh, at the waterfront, um, and you have Daredevil showing up and, you know, actually, it's kind of interesting that she unmasks for him. Sorry, he unmasks for her. And he doesn't really, she doesn't really say anything or care. Um, she's just kind of treating Daredevil uh, because he recently had a gunshot wound. And this is kind of a large sequence there. It's all about that. And then, uh, you know, uh, Cecilia then is able to help Pyro, who's at this point dying of the legacy virus. So it's, it's, it's an interesting character-centric uh, issue, uh, all in the, kind of the day in the life of Cecilia Reyes. Uh, kind of um, a quiet start for Siegel. Um, the cover is not in any way indicative of what actually happens in this issue. I mean, yes, Pyro is in it, but he's on a gurney. Uh, so yes, Cecilia Reyes is in it, but she's never in a costume. It's just an odd choice. Um, but I like the issue. It's you know, it's, it's a good character-centric issue for a character that, to be honest, we never really ended up caring much about after that. She's made you know a lot of appearances throughout the years, but I can't know. I can't really tell or or think of anything where she's actually been important enough to have her own main like kind of storyline. Really, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Uh, the next issue I want to talk about is X Men seventy one. This was also covered in January uh, to nineteen ninety eight. Uh, so this issue is uh, with a new writer as well, as you have Joe Kelly writing it, uh, with artwork by Carlos Pacheco. Some of my favorite Carlos Pacheco artwork I've ever seen. There's just something about his take here. Um, I think it was one of the best, his best stylistic approaches. Um, and it kind of, it's, it's an interesting issue because it's about, you know, on the cover, when Cyclops and Phoenix leave, will the dream survive? Well, it's kind of stupid because obviously it, it's surviving. Um, but it's interesting that you have Jean Grey reflecting on everything that Operation Zero Tolerance has done. And then, you know, and her kind of meditating psychically, which is kind of cool. And the X-Men dealing with Marrow being this weird creep character. Not creep, but like really creepy in that she's got bones growing everywhere. She's ripping them off her body. Like, it's kind of messed up um, the way that they show it. Even like Beast wanting to, to look at her cast off bones and, and analyze them. Like, it's, it's kind of super weird. Um, it's just... Uh, and then you also have Maggot, who's been here at this point, you know... It's interesting that these few issues, there's not a lot of action going on. There's a lot of them trying to do character building. Um, again, now at this point, it's interesting that Uncanny X-Men shipped first in the month 
but it would appear that this particular issue takes place before Scott and Jean actually leave and get on the plane, which is interesting. I'm, I'm curious, maybe I got the chronology wrong, because I've always thought the Uncanny X-Men came out first in the month. But, because I know that at some point, uh, actually later in the year, during the 35th anniversary uh, kind of celebration thing that they were doing, uh, they definitely had Uncanny X-Men started a story, and then it continued in X-Men. But it looks at this point that maybe I'm wrong, but I can't be wrong. I, I feel like they just kind of did it out of order because I'm, I'm thinking back to Onslaught and that was around the 335 and issue 55 mark and it was clear that Uncanny came first and then X-Men was, was later. Um, so I was just curious that they haven't left yet but they're already on a plane to Anchorage in their own particular book. Uh, again, there's subplots of plenty here. You're dealing with... Uh, uh, um, Storm and her lockpicks and uh, Maggot not really knowing his place and uh, Marrow kind of being kind of the trouble, troublesome wild child, the, the new version of Wolverine. Wolverine not necessarily being okay with being the one to kind of mind the store when Cyclops leaves, which is kind of funny considering where they would eventually be after um, Utopia. You also have all the heroes returning during Heroes Are Born, and that's mentioned here as well. Um, Wolverine and Storm again kind of leading the... T- leading the charge and, never, and kind of deciding that the kids are going to stay and that's going to be all right. Uh, again, Scott and Jean leave and then kind of show up in Uncanny X-Men 351, which had already come out. But at the end of the issue, and I always remember this, and this is one of those things when, I mean, so 1997, like, so this is 98, early 98, or really, if it's cover dated January 98, it probably came out in November 97. So I was 14 years old, or just turning 14 years old. So the last page in this comic... You have, um, you know, you, you have Marrow kind of being a troublemaker and Wolverine showing up in the basement, lighting a cigarette back when he, or uh, not even a cigarette, lighting a cigar, uh, cigar back when he did that. And I love the, the dialogue, which is perfect if you're 14 years old. You love it when you're 14. It's Marrow saying, you don't belong down here, old man. This is not your place anymore. Leave. And then Wolverine, and again, if you're 14 years old, this is badass. I don't think so, girly. This is a school, my school, not the cesspool you're used to. You gonna bed down here, Marrow? You've got a lot to learn. And the bells just rang. School's in. And I'm like, okay, that's really cliche, but when you're a kid, you're like, holy fuck, that's awesome. Especially considering the next issue, which has a really cool throwdown fight between the two characters. Um, yeah, I, which I really enjoyed uh, for a long time. Now, the next issue I'm gonna talk about is Uncanny X-Men 352. Uh, on the cover just says Turbulence, featuring possibly the most artists ever on one title. And they're kind of not wrong. Um, it's not exactly a strong point for this particular issue. Now, it is written again by Steve Siegel, and the artwork is by the following. And this is a, a, a large list. It's by Hamner, Edwards, Banks, Terry Dodson, Williams, and Cassidy. Now, it doesn't tell you who does which. The inkers are Martin, Edwards, Holdridge, uh, Rachel Dodson, Gray, and Cassidy. So that is a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And it is, as you would imagine, an artistic mess. Um, we get a little bit more sense of what's going on uh, on um, the plane. There's a lot of turbulence. Gene uh, and Scott have a long kind of conversation with each other psychically. Uh, the artwork is shifting every page. There's something wrong on this plane. Uh, you flash back to uh, the mansion. And... There's stuff here where, like, the mansion looks like it's in a really bad repair, but in the previous issues it looked fine. It makes sense because Juggernaut had just kind of stormed through the place, but it just felt odd that it wasn't really 
referenced earlier. Uh, again, the artwork is extremely muddy in some of these pages, and then you flip the page, and it's a lot cleaner. But you know, it's just it's such a um, you're almost getting artistic whiplash when you read this issue. There's so many anchors, so many writers, um, terrorists on a plane, uh, cannibal not having not really liking that um, maggots there and snooping through his stuff. And again, not much is really happening. You have this little mini heist on the plane. But it's not exactly the most exciting subplot, um, you know, and it takes up so much of this issue. Uh, and then, again, it's it's just not that interesting. Now, the end of the issue is interesting because you get an idea that something's going on with Department H and what might go on from there, uh, which is cool. And again, you feel like they're that sequels start trying to change the page and kind of move Cyclops and Jean Grey kind of out of the story, but not quite. They still want them to have their own subplots of their own while focusing on the mansion. But again, uh, the artwork really rips this story apart. And the story is kind of flimsy to begin with because, again, it's not the most interesting story of, oh, look, it's Scott and Jean. They're headed to Anchorage. Oh, there's terrorists on the plane. Like, all right, well, thanks for that issue. Considering the strong character work that was in the issue previous, it's surprising, I guess. Uh, next up is the, uh, again in February, X-Men 72 by Joe Kelly, artwork by Carlos Pacheco again. It's Wolverine versus Marrow. Um, and again, we pick up almost exactly where we left off with uh, Wolverine and Marrow kind of having words, and they decide that they're going to have a throwdown. Um, we also have Ambassador Haller uh, approached by Sabre, which will begin an interesting subplot that ends up not really going anywhere. Um, Cannonball at this point was kind of, you know, intrigued by Marrow and kind of interested in her. Uh, Joseph was still part of the team trying to help rebuild the mansion, which again feels, feels like it's taking a little long. Um, Maggot is the character who most quickly has ever gone from being potentially cool to ridiculously boring and no one cares. Um, I, the year you know and a half previous, uh, right before Operation Zero Tolerance, he he had like this one issue uh, where he kind of showed up and looked menacing and cool. Um, and then, but like five months later, he's he's looking really super thin, gangly, uh, with a stupid haircut. He just and it doesn't seem like an interesting character. But uh, really, the, the big part about this issue is more about the knockdown dragout fight between Marrow and Wolverine, which is really cool. Again, Wolverine at this point doesn't have that adamantium, so it's got these two characters just with bone, uh, bone like kind of claws. Uh, where there's a, a subplot going on here that Gabrielle Haller and Sabre are curious about this um, this forger who may have forged the identity some identities for Magneto. Again, Magneto had just been discovered to be still be alive at the end of uh, 350, so this is a big deal. That Magneto was still operating even though Joseph was around. Um, we go to the next issue. We have a nice, a nice issue. Next page. Again, you have Wolverine and Mayor having this cool fight, but at the same time, there's weird 90s stuff where, like, pretty sure that uh, Mero is, like, tasting, I don't know, what, his blood or her blood? I, I don't even know. It gets messed up enough. Again, it's a cool fight to kind of see... Marrow like sticking like a, a bone right through his neck, and it, it kind of unlocks the um, most feral side of Wolverine. He tries to like kill Marrow, and then uh, I always loved the shot as a kid. Cannonball full speed grabs Wolverine and smashes him into a wall to stop the fight. Um, you know, kind of messed up. And Marrow again not thinking that she really belongs with the X Men, and and uh, going back to Callisto who got injured in uh, 347 of Uncanny X Men, which is really cool. And again, there is a, uh, an idea here that there's some sort of uh, there's a subplot of a kind of a trail trail of murders as well. 
Um, it's a good issue, you know. Again, it's it's very of its time, but um, you know, it's it's kind of fun to kind of read Wolverine versus kind of the new Wolverine, who who is obviously Mero. That's who she's she's patterned after. She was basically a Hawkeye slash Wolverine character. Um, now that Wolverine was, you know, not the uh, now he's basically the teacher. He's basically taking care of things, uh, which obviously in the more modern period happens even further. Uh, we have Uncanny X Men three fifty three. The gloves are off. It's horrible, horrible cover by Chris Pachalo. Uh Sorely aggravated. Like I remember when I first saw this, I was just not a big fan of his art because it just felt so. Um, What's the word? Like it was, it was very stylized, but not in the way I was used to. It's by this issue is by Steve Siegel and Chris Bacalo, or Bachelot, however you want to say it. Um, you have Rogue dreaming about kind of attacking and trying to and taking on aspects of Wolverine, um, which is kind of weird. Uh, oh man, I, I miss Angel and Psylocke being a couple. I don't know why, but I always kind of like that. Um, now, one thing I want to point out, and this has nothing to do with the issue itself. Um, it's more to do just with personal tastes. At the center of this issue. It just says, it's not just the heroes who are returning. It's a house of ideas homecoming. And it mentions things that are coming up. So um, you flip through, and it's just the two-page spread. And in the middle, there's the kind of like, almost like a little mini book. And it's mentioning things that are happening throughout the comics at the time. And it's just an interesting snapshot of where, where Marvel Comics was at the beginning of 1998. It says, X-Men, Legacy Virus. At what price will the cure be found? Now... They were still a few years away from the cure being found, so I don't know what they were talking about there. Um, but it's just interesting that they're mentioning it. Spider-Man, Spider-Hunt. Either Spider-Man dies or Spider-Man dies. So Spider-Man, Spider-Hunt was about to happen. Uh, it's something, actually, that I've mentioned before on the podcast. Um, I can't remember what episode it was. I'm trying to find that. I think it was episode... Uh, 128, which is a flashback to Spider-Man, Spider-Hunt, Identity Crisis. So this is about that. Um... And it has like a little bit of artwork of someone holding Spider-Man's mask in their hands. Uh, Hulk, with all my strength, everything I feared I might do, I killed without even living, lifting a finger. I forget what that's even necessarily a reference to. It must be a reference to uh, Betty Banner dying. She might have, must have died right around this period. Um, Thor, great shall be the fabled tale of my return. All of hell will surely tremble at the second coming of Odinson. Uh, then you got Blade. Guess who's got a stake in this now, suckers? Wolverine just saying snicked. And it was all kind of things that were happening at the time. Now, the most interesting, the only reason I bring it up at all, is that the, the last little snippet of this says Excelsior Comics, which was never the name of a comic. And it just says Spider-Girl, believe it. So the idea here, and then the next page had a view to the future. And it had um, kind of all these kind of things, mentioning things that were coming up. So it said, uh, the most unexpected story the entire world's been waiting for, Wolverine 125. I tend to disagree. I've read that comic. No one, no one's been waiting for that, unless they really want to see Wolverine end up being re- revealed as being married to Viper, or getting married to Viper. That's about it. Uh, the fate of the killer of Graydon Creed, X Factor One Fifty. That issue never happened. Uh, in fact, X Factor ended with issue One Forty Nine, and then it got relaunched as Mutant X. So it's just an interesting. Again, I love looking at stuff like this because you don't realize what's really going on. Uh, this I don't even know what it's supposed to reference to. It says X dash and then in parentheses um, uh, question mark. It says number one, a brand new series and team at the end of 1998. I'd have to go and look and see what that is. Unless maybe it's a reference to Mutant X at the time. Generation X Underground by Underground Writers and Artists. It was never retitled that, so I don't know if that's really fair. 
uh, bookshelf editions of Weapon X, The Gathering, Age, Ashes of Apocalypse, Longshot, and X-Men Union Jack. I guess they're talking about trade paperbacks. Uh, Sensational Spider-Man 25, A Spider-Man a Murderer. That's the first chapter of the Spider-Head storyline. The Spider-Man titles redefined, A Shot, A Suspect. Uh, again, I don't really think that's necessarily anything that actually happened at the point at this point. Alpha Flight, Department H Exposed. I think that did happen in the newly relaunched Alpha Flight book at that time. Who will be the new Avengers? Avengers number four. No, that's true. In Avengers number four, they've selected the new team of Avengers going forward. Uh, Captain America versus Iron Man. Captain America number six and Iron Man number five. As far as I recall, that's not in any way true either. So that didn't really happen. Avengers versus the Thunderbolts. That happened. A serial killer roams Hell's Kitchen. Daredevil 374. I could be wrong, but I think the book ended right around that point and then got relaunched by Kevin Smith. Um, the Thunder Returns of the Heavens, Thor number one. It did get relaunched. Star Trek special events include Star Trek animated series, the comic, Star Trek Next Generation and X-Men crossover, and Star Trek Nine movie adaptation. I'm sure those all happened. New from Strange Tales, Blade Orleans, End Time. I'm not sure about that. Marvel Sci-Fi, Seeker 3000, Micronauts, Guardians, and Kill Raven. I don't know if any of those really came out that year. And Excelsior Comics, Brand New Heroes in the Marvel Tradition. Now, eventually that would be redefined as MC2 Universe, and it would be Spider-Girl, which had already been uh, featured in the What If 105, as well as uh, A-Next and J2, which, to be honest, I love those comics. I love A-Next. Um, it was just such a fun comic. It, I'm always sad that the Digest version they came out with is only the first six issues, because if it was the first 12, I would totally buy that in a heartbeat. Uh, first 12. I meant all 12. Uh, just because it's it doesn't feel complete without it. Um, the same thing with J2. I totally buy that. Something about J2, I never really read it at the time, but I think I read like one or two issues. I remember I was visiting my, my, my grandmother at the time, and there was this, uh, this store in this small town near Ottawa, Canada. Um, the town was called Pembroke, and um, there was a small like little bookstore called Selections, and my grandmother would be like, oh, they have comic books. You should go there, because you know, I was just starting to get into comics. I wasn't like super serious into it yet. Like, I had started buying at Silver Snail, you can tell, because my comics are old list, direct edition at this point. And I remember going and picking up, I think, an issue or two of Spider-Girl there, and A-Next, and um, J2, and they weren't direct editions. And it would always bug me that those particular issues were not direct editions, because I got them at a traditional bookstore. Uh, so anyways, <laughs> way off the point. Uncanny X-Men 353, so um, there's, a, again, more subplots. Bishop is in space. Um, we finally get to see more of what's going on with him because Deathbird has not kind of captured him, but definitely has him. Uh, there's more going on here with, again, crazy Bacalo artwork on, uh, you know, th they're all hanging out at the pool, but everyone's wearing weird clothes. Uh, they find, like, um, an old blackbird, like, buried beneath the water, which is super weird as well. Uh, Wolverine decides he's going to kind of hang out on his own, then he gets attacked by a Sauron, uh, and the Sauron attacks the X-Men. And at the time, Siegel was developing a subplot, and I think Joe Kelly was in on it too, that maybe uh, Jean Grey was actually, the Phoenix was actually maybe still at, at work here. So at one point, she clears away some snow uh, when they go to Anchorage, and it's in the shape of kind of the Phoenix bird. Uh, it's supposed to lead you in a very certain direction, but they never really ended up going in at all. Um, this is both the good and bad thing about having subplots uh, and not writing for trade, not having more concise storylines, is that sometimes you end up with very, like, kind of things not going anywhere in the way that, that they seem. Uh, next up, X-Men 73 in March. Joe Kelly did the story with Joe Casey. Um, he did a script assist, and then Pencils by Jeff Johnson. Uh, not the greatest art, kind of flimsy at times. 
The story is interesting. You have more developments of the Sebastian Shaw and the Hellfire Club. Uh, we've got, again, more with Cecilia Reyes, and they're kind of trying to, to make the new X-Men into a thing. Um, although Sabra kind of confronting the X-Men. She'd recently just teamed up with Iceman, so why not bother the X-Men again? As she comes after um, Joseph, because they still think that he is... Um, that he's Magneto. They don't really know that the real Magneto is still alive. Although they get a sense of it here. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunately, it's kind of a forgettable issue and a terrible cover. It, it, look that up and come on comics.org. It's not good. Uh, next up, Uncanny X-Men 354, which is versus Sauron. I kind of like the cover, though. Um, again, I'm not a huge fan of Bachelor, but sometimes it works. Uh, Siegel wrote this, again, with Bacalo and Art. Um, kind of a cool version of Sauron, because he's kind of got some gear on him, like a, and like a high-tech gun, but he's also still just a giant pterodactyl, which is kind of cool. Uh, Jubilee makes kind of a cool appearance here as well. Um, this is, I think, a better issue than his first issue of Uncanny X-Men. Uh, more with Deathbird, kind of trying to recuperate uh, Bishop and having him think that the X-Men are kind of gone. Um, Jubilee fighting in a bikini, which is very exploitive, uh, or at least feels that way. At one point, Jean wearing her green Phoenix costume. So again, the idea that maybe she isn't, you know, she is who, maybe she isn't um, just Jean, that maybe there's something else going on here. Um, also, at this point, because of the pain that Cyclops is in, his optic blasts aren't quite the same, or they're the same, he's just not able to concentrate on it, so you have him kind of doing target practice on his own. Um, it's kind of, a, 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 again, a cool fight uh, with the Sauron, and then uh, Rogue kind of takes off on her own because she's kind of freaking out about, again, oh no, I touched someone and I absorbed their powers, and it just, it was this on, 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 ongoing plotline that after a while just got a little irritating. Um, next up, X-Men 74, and once again by Joe Kelly, artwork by Carlos Pacheco. I always loved this issue. Um, I loved, uh, I mean, there's a lot of, of, of crap in this issue, like, uh, I guess Cecilia Reyes playing around with, uh, with Beast. I always kind of like their camaraderie in these issues. Unfortunately, Maggot has a little bit of the, um, uh, he's kind of playing a more of a role in here, and he's not interesting. The Abomination at this point was, uh... Probably one of his lowest, lowest ebbs, but he was kind of cool that he was hanging out in the Morlock tunnels uh, and ends up fighting against um, Angel. Angel already kind of hit with uh, paranoia and fear because he's very scared of what could happen um, based on what originally happened to his wings when he was in the Morlock tunnels. Uh, again, the murder investigation I mentioned a few issues earlier is developing at this point. Um, Marrow and Angel kind of come to um, a little bit of their own kind of... Um, understanding here she's got these flushettes so the idea that maybe she's a bit of more of a relationship or not relationship but um a little bit of idol worship idol worship when it comes to um to angel and at the end of the issue we have wolverine wearing i guess ripped jeans but it looks like he's barely wearing a loincloth and he's got some sort of ripped um uh some sort of like it looks like something's ripped open his body of some kind. Uh, Maggot's freaking out, although Maggot is all blue, and I guess he's freaked out and, and really using his powers, which never really made sense. Um, the main part of the issue is basically, you know, uh, angels in the Morlock tunnels looking for Marrow, and then he comes afoul of Abomination and tries to survive, and him and uh, Marrow are able to kind of call him off, basically. Uh, I always liked the issue, though. Looking back on it, maybe it's not that strong, and maybe he didn't deserve it, but I definitely enjoyed it. Um... The next issue um, from May is, again, Siegel and Bacalo. Uh It's a showdown with Alpha Flight. 
Um, actually, I gotta admit, I did not like the call back at, back when this was originally on. But looking at it, or, or when it was originally on, like it was a TV show, when this was originally um, released, I was not a huge fan of the artwork, but. Maybe I was wrong, or maybe I just wasn't ready for Bacallo, because I'm looking at this here, and some of it, it's getting tighter every issue. Um, we have, you know, Alpha Flight just bringing in, um, trying to bring in Wolverine. He's just recently, um, you know, trying to bring Sauron to the authorities. Um, realized that not everything is as it seems, because they thought that Wolverine was involved in killing one of their members. I think actually it might have been Hudson, I'm not sure. Or no, it couldn't have been, because he's here. Anyways, he gutted someone, or they thought so. Anyways, that was, again... Siegel at the time was writing the relaunched Alpha Flight, so it was kind of cool to see the teams fight. Although, again, if you look at the cover, the X-Men consist of Maggot, uh, Storm, Rogue, Cannonball, and Wolverine, and Eenie Meenie. And then Alpha Flight is Puck, I guess a weird version of Box, Flex, Radius, a girl I don't remember, uh, a younger, I think, clone version of um, Guardian at the time, a Vindicator, and then a, uh, an actual Sasquatch, who at the time they thought was just Old Langowski, who had uh, devolved more. Which is super stupid. Don't you vet your members a little bit more than that? Um, but again, it's kind of, a, you know, one of those common misunderstandings in comic books, but still kind of fun to read. Um, and again, the artwork by Bacallo was, was at, the, at the time, I mean, I've read, what, three issues of his so far, or... Or I've mentioned three of his issues, uh, 353 to 355. And with each issue, it definitely is getting stronger. Um, then we have X-Men 75, which is terrible. I never thought it was good. It, I brought back the idea or the um, the, uh, the concept of the Negrai, but it was just overly long, very of its era in terms of way too much narration, way too much um, kind of meaningless chatter and not enough storyline and it wasn't that good to begin with uh, it's written by Joe Kelly I work by German Garcia I think of, of the period I think overall Uncanny was probably the stronger book um, the artwork in here doesn't really help at all in terms of making it stronger uh, again there are some great house ads though that I enjoy one of them being for Spot for Identity Crisis which again I talked about in episode 128 which was how long can one wall crawler be four different heroes before the walls start closing in um it was actually pretty easy for Spider-Man to do it. But, uh, again, the whole storyline with the Negrai and uh, Wolverine kind of being potentially, you know, taken over by these by these alien demonic creatures, uh, it just kind of goes on too long um, and never really feels like it's worth the extra length. Uh, I guess it's... And the artwork, again, extremely inconsistent, kind of terrible. At times, there was just... It was very loose on details. Uh, it really leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, and then the last issue of Uncanny that I'm going to talk about in this particular episode, I always loved the cover. It was, um, I think that they made it a poster at one point. Again, Seiko and Bacallo is the creative team. They've got the original X-Men on the cover. Very cool. You're going to see them all together as the, uh, the original X-Men go and visit uh, Scott because he's worried about her potentially being, um, sorry, Jean Grey potentially turning back into the Phoenix. Um, and it's kind of nice to get the... Uh, the original X-Men all together, kind of talking about the past, etc. At the same time, you have the storyline with Rogue and this guy who may help her with her powers, which, again, that hasn't been done a million times. Um, and the idea that, again, the original it's nice to see the original X-Men together, and I think that's really the, the cool stuff that's, that I like in this, uh, is having a nice, you know, there's not a lot going on in terms of action, which I've said, to be honest... In a lot of ways, this was a period of no real direction for the X-Books, but at the same time, strong character work. 
Um, so although some of the character workers are characters that no one really cared that much about, so it's your mileage may vary in that case. Although as we get into the next episode, when I go through the latter part of the year, it starts to become a little bit more action-heavy, um, you know, and it starts going in a, kind of a different direction, which will, re- you know, eventually re- uh, lead to the return of Xavier. Um, uh, the original. Now we have, um, you know, Danger. But back in the '98, we had the beginning of a, a different storyline completely, which had the beginnings of the character known as Cerebro, uh, which kind of the same concept as Danger. So when Danger happened, I remember being like, "That's not new because I've kind of seen this before." Uh, next up, X-Men 76. Unfortunately, kind of a sad spot to leave it off as it's the tragic origin of Maggot. And it's a terrible cover by Adam Polina. I believe it's by Adam Polina. Sure looks like Adam Polina. If it's not Adam Polina, I will be absolutely shocked because it definitely looks like his, his skinny portrayal of characters, but I could be wrong. The guest penciler for the issue was uh, Matt Brome, or Broom, with our guest inkers uh, Sean Parsons with Aaron Saud. It's written by Joe Kelly. I actually kind of like their artwork. Again, more of Marrow kind of um, checking out, you know, her body, like her body getting checked out by Cecilia. Um, there's been a little bit more of Marrow, sorry, Maggot finally kind of telling his history, how he ended up getting saved by Maggot. The whole story is a lot less interesting than anyone ever thought it could be. Everyone was pretty, was I think interested at one point to know his origin, back during Uncanny X-Men 350 when we first figured out that there was a connection between the two characters. And then ever since then, the, st- the storyline became more and more, or sorry, less and less interesting. Um, and it, very disappointing. And at the end of the issue, um, we finally get a, a telegram sent to Storm all about that she has to stop uh, a Nazi. And uh, although one thing I never understood as a kid is that the, um, the lettering they used for this kind of sculpture's um, conversation and, and what they're saying to Storm and such um, really was really reminiscent of um, Ozymandias's so you almost I think that, that this is Ozymandias talking to them but no it's something else completely anyways uh, not a very good issue the origin again not that interesting at all uh, it's, it's very disappointing um, and again it's kind of, in some ways kind of a sad spot to leave off because it's not a very good comic uh, but next issue sorry next issue next episode we're going to look at July to, um, to July to December uh, in 1998, which will be a little bit more interesting. Um, as I said, things will pick up. There's some action in space. There's the return of Gambit. There's the giant-sized 35th anniversary milestones. Um, so things will definitely pick up a little in the next issue, uh, or sorry, the next episode that I do, which will be the part two of the flashback to X-Men in 1997. Sorry, 98. Jesus. I cannot say anything right today. Uh, so thanks very much for joining me for this episode. And um, you can email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And uh, you can also post in our H2 Realms thread as well. So next episode, 244, will likely be the part two of this flashback. Although it might be something else. It depends on, uh, well, I guess, what tickles my fancy. Um, but thanks for joining us for this episode. And we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.